Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is and always has been a podcast about exploring the world of humans. How do we live better? What do we are curious about, obviously, but also how do we learn from each other? And in some of those places, it's going to be stories that suck. And but we come back from them changed immeasurably, and you see the world incredibly differently. My guest today, Gina Ayafoldano, I think exemplifies what that is, um, or what life can throw at you, and it changes you forever. So without foreshadowing too heavily, Gina is a legal operations professional, writer, and an everyday athlete. She has recently relocated back to the Chicagoland area. She's currently working on her first book, Little Gifts, which covers a large part of her experience with overcoven Guillain-Barre syndrome, a rare autoimmune uh, syndrome that causes her body to be neurologically paralyzed. Gina is two years in remission and is in training for a second Spartan competition post-recovery. And that is why we had this conversation. We've known each other for uh, probably 10 years or so through um, high school and college era, but never really had friends. But through the power of social media, we kept in contact and slowly but surely, I saw her story unfold and decided to reach out because I thought she would be able to have a very interesting conversation with me about her experiences surviving Guillain-Barre. And that's where we spend most of this conversation is talking about how did she go from normal life to the diagnosis and then recovering from that diagnosis? And it's an incredible story. And to hear how she's, you know, rethought her life, broken up all her habits, and just the resiliency, I guess, to to keep pushing and to say, no, I will get better, I think is something that we can all take away from. And I'm really excited she's taken taking the time to write a book about this experience. And I think at the very end of all of this, we barely scratched the surface about what we could have even talked about here. And so I'm not going to preamble anymore, but I want to give as much time to Gina. And so with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Gina Ayafoldano. Alrighty, Gina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. I know um, we've talked a bit before this and stuff like that, but um, it's just, it feels like a long time coming and just hearing how excited you are to be here. It's, it's awesome to just be able to talk to people and reconnect. I mean, realistically reconnect because we've known each other for so long, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For a very long time. I'm excited to be here too. Um, and so with that, just give people a little bit of like, you know, who are you? What do you do? And, um, I think we have some pretty big things to talk about, but I like to start there. So let people introduce yourself. I'm Jeannie Altaldano. Um, I grew up in the same place. I think you did. Did you grow up in Schaumburg? Yeah. Okay. Northwest suburbs of Chicago for people who are not from this yeah. area. <laughs> um, I, yeah. So I, I went to school all throughout here up until college and I um, ended up moving across the country out West. Uh, and then I, um, I grew my legal career out there. And then um, let's see. <laughs> I, yeah. It's weird talking about yourself, um, but I, get I, it. I, yeah, I, I stayed out West for a long time. And then, um, I got, I got really ill. I, I came down with Guillain-Barre syndrome and that brought me actually right back home. 
Yeah. And that's really where we we want to spend most of the time today. I mean, it's it's one of those stories that I remember when I saw like, you know, every so often there'd be updates or photos of what had happened. Um, and I was just like, that's crazy because you know, at one point it's like you see someone and they're moving around doing normal things. And the next thing you know, their life is turned sideways. Um, and, and just for anyone listening for this, for this particular neurological, uh, um, condition, is there any like warning signs? Like, can you predict it or is it just, it happens and you just have to deal with it? Yeah, so that's what's so shocking about it. Uh, I was a very healthy 27-year-old. I mean, not very healthy. I was I was active. I mean, the last 10 years, I was working out at least five to six days a week. I was, you know, uh, I was doing, I was a yoga certified, I was getting yoga certified at the time. And so arguably, I was in one of the best shapes I could have been in. And mm-hmm. I uh, didn't have much warning signs. I I was exercising the week prior and... I felt a lot of weakness in my legs. Mm. And I remember talking to my roommate at the time, uh, my partner, and I was, I was like, I, just, I don't feel right. Something, I mean, energetically, I don't feel like I'm, I feel very off, very lethargic. And it didn't go from there until probably day, the day that I, w- I drove myself to the hospital. I, I woke up with uh, tingling in my hands and feet. Mm. And I remember getting out of bed and I, have, I had tile. And I couldn't really feel the tile. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I went, yeah, I was wow. like, that's kind of weird. I'm like, okay, so I'm like, something's off. You know, and I was, I was, I was doing yoga like pretty consistently. And I had to go to yoga that day because I was getting certified. And I was like, I must have twitched a nerve or I must have pinched something in my back. Mm. And so I went to go make coffee like I normally do. I remember feeling the burner and not being able to feel like the heat. And I was like, okay, this is really, this is weird. You're like, so, a lot of these co- coincidences are just starting to like add up. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is... yeah but na- I mean, natural to everybody, right? I, I, I underplayed what I was going through. I was like, nope, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Right. And uh, my part, my, oh my God, sometimes, like, you know, if you don't call the doctor, he's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like make you go. You have to go. And so I, um, I called the doctor. It's like, hey, I'm feeling any symptoms. Like, this was a Friday. Uh, can I, should I come in now? Should I go to the hospital? And like, no, well, you know, what we could see you on Wednesday. We'll make an appointment for Wednesday. And, um, it kind of progressively got worse that day. And my roommate was like, you need a second opinion. Mm-hmm. And so out of all doctors, I, I actually, I called my gynecologist because it was like the only thing that I changed. And, uh, she said, when I, when I called, called them and told them the symptoms, they're like, nope, that's not normal. You need to drive yourself to the emergency room right now. And I was like, oh, okay. So I drove myself to the emergency room. And uh, since it was a Friday, I called my boss and I was like, we were working fully remote since this was in the, this was in um, April, April 2nd, 2021. So we were in the thick of the pandemic. And oh, I, wow. I didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I called my boss and said, hey, I'm just going to go get checked out really quick. And I'll, 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 I'll log back on. I'll finish, I'll finish what I have to do. You don't have to, because we were also in these quarterly reports that I had to get out right away Mm -hmm. before the weekend. And I was like, I promise I'm just getting checked out. So I I went into the hospital and this, it kind of gets fuzzy from here. I was actually thinking about this before you, you know, when we were preparing for the podcast, 
that uh, I was on a lot of a lot of uh, drugs <laughs> that they put yeah. me on as soon as I got in there because I started feeling pain. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah. They 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 said, okay, well, we're gonna do an MRI. Um, and then when they did the MRI, they said, okay, we're gonna keep you overnight. Hmm. And I was like, what? You're gonna keep me overnight? Like I I don't I can't be kept overnight. I got like I got things to do. You're like I got a and, job um, to go do. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, you know, we can we can have you do these tests out and come back, but really this is a one stop shop. We want to get to the bottom of it before we release you. So hmm. I was like, okay, uh, what other tests do you have to do for me? And she said a spinal tap. Oh and I was like, boy, that's jumping. You know, like you know, you're just doing some tests to from MRI to. Okay, you're doing some, you know, um, you're getting some visuals on what's happening, but spinal tap is pretty serious. And and I was mm -hmm. like, what do what do you guys think this is? What? And I was actually surprised that they already had like two theories of what it could be just based on my symptoms and the MRI alone. But wow. she said, you know, we're we're thinking it's either MS or GBS. Hmm. And I was like, oh well, I know MS doesn't sound good, but what is GBS? I don't know what that is. And I didn't want to look it up. So I was like, I'll just count on the doctors, you know, to, to tell me what it is. And um, so they quickly, after the spinal tap, they had ruled out MS and they were still, they started to evaluate me for GBS. And from that point on, I, I think within 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours, I became paralyzed from the face down. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And it, it it was kind of humorous at that time, too, because they put me on so much morphine that mm -hmm. when I first lost function of my legs, I was blaming the nurses for, for overdosing me. <laughs> like, you guys gave me too much and now I can't feel my feet. Seriously, I like I was in this um, I was in the ICU or I was in the ER, actually. And mm -hmm. there was a bathroom that was um, outside of the, the room. And. I went, you know, I'd go, you know, back and forth. And then when I started, the thing about GBS is it goes from your feet upwards mm. and the paralysis kind of grows from there on. And so it started in my actual feet and legs. And um, I, I was walking and I collapsed in the hallway and the uh, nurse starts running to me. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, you guys gave me too much morphine. I can walk. And poor guy's like, I'm not going to be there the one to tell this girl that she's probably not going to walk for a while ever. right so so yeah so to answer your question uh there wasn't many signs other than the fact that i had this tingling in my hands and feet and within 24 to 48 hours i was fully paralyzed yeah i mean that's crazy to go from you know just your normal day to all of a sudden life is very different i mean even at this point you don't even know what this means right like you can't walk but you're like i'm sure or rather instead of projecting was it like oh i'll be here maybe a couple days and then i'll go back to my normal life yeah that's what i thought i i actually <laughs> thought they could get i was like okay they just got to give me i was like all right i guess i'll just wait till the doctors can put some you know they they well another thing they, they talked about was the treatment methods for something like this for an autoimmune disease that's attacking your peripheral nervous system is they were like, okay, well, we could put you on IVIG. And essentially that's just taking other people's antibodies and putting it in your system so that you could fight off this infection. 
mm-hmm. and hopefully prevent paralysis from going any further. And I was like, okay, let's go ahead and do that. And yeah, well, I already, I already put in the script for it. We're going to get you on it within, they got me on it, I think within like eight hours. Wow. That's really um, fast. That's crazy. Well, cause if you don't, then I think the alternative is pretty grim. <laughs> I see. So they, they basically have to just move as fast as they possibly can. As yeah. As cause they're trying to prevent it from going to your, your, they want to prevent it from going to your throat, like your, um, Okay. So yeah, because you, yeah, because yeah. it's attacking your nervous system. It it would be, or your nervous system is attacking itself. I guess in your if you lose f- sensation in your throat, you stop breathing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you have to be put on a ventilator, which I was about like a hair. Like the that that story is pretty wild in itself. We could probably mm-hmm. make a podcast just on me needing to self advocate to not be put on a ventilator. Really? Yeah. And so they, because the IVIG actually didn't work. And oh, wow. a lovely, lovely doctor. I, I swore that I remember all the names of people at Chandler Regional. And I don't because I was on so much morphine. But if anybody from that hospital is, or Air Bureaus is listening to this, I am so indebted to you and thankful for you. Uh, but they, they didn't have the other. So it was IVIG that they put me on, but the life-saving treatment that I actually received was plasmapheresis, which hmm. is a full blood transfusion. They took all my blood out of my body and put new blood in. So if you donate blood, wow. thank you very much. You have saved my life. That's crazy. I, so it's like dialysis, but like even more intense. Intense. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then how how long after that, or from the uh, first treatment to the plasmapheresis oh very quickly so when i when the ibig clearly wasn't stopping i think they got nervous too because the paralysis hit my face Mm. and normally like it's you know it goes here but i was getting it i think i had it all over i couldn't lift my hands i couldn't i couldn't even wiggle my fingers and Mm -hmm. my face had zero expression on it i mean i like Wow. I'm a pretty, ex- I was a very expressive person. I still actually have uh, paralysis in my face, but not many people can tell, especially if you didn't know me beforehand. But even then, my face had zero expression on it. So I think when they saw that, they were like, okay, we have to, if the IVIG isn't improving at all, we're going to move her to a different hospital so that she could get the life-saving treatment. And so we had that conversation, I think, within another 24 hours. And I got moved to Barrows, which is like the number one neurological center, I think, in the world. And wow. that's where they had plasma phoresis. I was in, let's see, actually, no, it, it would have been so April 2nd. I think I got plasma phoresis on uh, be April 17th, maybe. Hmm. So, but I was in like ICU for about... 24 days i think mm-hmm. yeah just to make sure that you the spread of the symptoms are contained enough so that because i'm assuming once you're stabilized then that's when the rehab can start but up until that point it's very unclear because you they have no there's like it sounds like to me there's really not a clear progression of like where the peak is it's more of like let's hope it doesn't you know get to these critical spots and then once we once we've passed those marks, then we're good. But it it's not like there's a clear timeline for this kind of 
because it, it sounds insanely fast. It's so fast. And I think it also can, so they're actually doing a case study on me if they, if it's not already complete. I know it takes a while, but it didn't present like traditional Guillain-Barre. And so oh, they, really? yeah, they didn't actually, I never got diagnosed. Like up until a week before I actually took my first steps, the, the head neurologist, he was like on a trip abroad. He came mm. back and after his review, he came in, uh, he came into my, my room and he's like, you know, I don't, these tests don't really, the markers aren't showing Guillain-Barre for me. I actually think it's something else. And actually, I can't even remember what he thought it was, but it was a different uh, neurological disorder that was actually quite permanent. So he, he ended up hmm. telling me in my room that day that I'd likely never walk again. Wow. And so he was, he was like, yeah, I, I don't, I'd like to get an EM, um, oh, he was a nerve conduction study. He wanted to get a nerve conduction study done to see what my response rate was. So if you look at your nerve endings, if you look at them like as if they are a piece of like wire copper, you know how it has that sheath on it? Yep. They wanted to determine if the damage was just to the sheath or if it actually reached the copper, which would cause permanent damage. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to do that is like a nerve conduction study where they put needles in you. And so after he did that, and my action, I did very well on that test. I think the only permanent damage that really showed that hit the copper was like my face um, and oh, really? wow. some of my legs. Yeah. And so he was like, actually, all right, I guess, you know, it might be Guillain-Barre syndrome. And um, we'll see. We'll see where we can go from there. But. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, it's just such a crazy, like, syndrome to, like, like, the I it's like hard for me to like even put into words because it's just something that seems so it's like so minor, right? Like it's not like a virus or something, but it's just like your nerves are being attacked and it's like, you, cause you can't see any of this damage going on outside of what you, you, you say from sensation standpoint. And it just, it just this total like shift. And I'm sure they like outside of the doctor who said thought it was something worse, where they said you're probably not going to walk again. Um, what was that recovery process to like regaining function? Because it sounds like it's almost like uh, similar to that, like people who break their back or you know lose functionality of their legs and they have to relearn it. it sounds similar to that, but that's just me projecting. Yes, very similar. Uh, very long process. And I feel extremely fortunate because there's a lot of people with Guillain-Barre syndrome that don't walk for, you know, they're still struggling on year five or, or, and onward. Um, wow. And, and so I feel very fortunate where I'm at today. But uh, with that said, that, that process wasn't an easy process. Uh, mm -hmm. It, I, I will say I, I, there's people that obviously in my wheelhouse and or in my circle that, when they saw everything that was going on, they looked at it from a place of devastation. Like this is, this is devastating. This is, you must be in depressing state of mind. That wasn't the case for me out of the hundred plus days that I was in the hospital. I only had seven mental bad days. And as a result, I think it played into my recovery quite a bit. And so I progressed quicker than I think arguably most people with Guillain-Barre syndrome did. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I had to relearn how to re- obviously relearn how to do everything. I had no function in my hands, I think. So the when I was in the hospital, the first, the one of those bad mental days was when uh, one of the doctors, I was trying to just evaluate sort of what my future looked like based on where I was at. And I remember talking to her and I said, okay, so I work a legal career. I type, I use my hands. What does that look like if I can't use my hands anymore? And she's like, oh, you know, okay, well, you wear this device around your head and you could, you know, move like that. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is kind of serious. Like I, this, this is going to, this is going to change or alter my life significantly. I may not snowboard again. I may not walk again. I may not enjoy these things that really bring me a lot of joy. And so Mm -hmm. that was one of the, I think that was mental bad day number three. (laughs) So, I mean, there's really two, two directions that I think we'll explore both of them. But the first one that comes to mind is, is it sounds like when you start, when you're, when you're confronted with something bad, right? Like you losing the functionality of your hands and it fundamentally changes how you express yourself in the world, you end up like snowballing that into other things you might not be able to do that you enjoy, right? So it's like a dogpile effect of, oh, I can't do this. So because I can't do this, I can't go. And then you just keep chaining that down and it just kind of creates this really spiral of, you know, I'm not going to be able to do things I love anymore. and so with that, where, like, how did you keep your spirits high where you didn't end up falling into those traps? Yeah, because that, that, that could, when the reality sunk in, that could have been really easy to hang on to. Um, but I, I will say a lot of what I, what I like to talk about is sort of what I was doing beforehand, the, the, the work mm-hmm. that I was doing before the catastrophe or the, the illness. And I was a longtime meditator of 10 years plus. I, I'm mm-hmm. not as consistent as I'd like to be, but I always sort of believed in your physical fitness man, matching your mental fitness, where when you're training your body, it's more than just that. It's training in your mind and, and doing things like visualization and um, just doing the work to be able to handle extreme amounts of stress. And so when I got into that, I feel like when I when I came down with the illness, I did have to shift my paradigm into this is larger than anything I've ever dealt with. Am I going to face it with strength, mm-hmm. or am I going to give in and let it fully wreck my 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 mental state? And so, I did have really good people around me. I was very fortunate. Uh, at the time, I had my cousin fly in right away. She was right there by my side. I had, a, I had a really incredible support system. My mom took a leave of absence from work, and she wow. caretaked. Yeah, she she flew out and lived in a state. She's never lived outside of Illinois before. She had to move her whole self to a whole different state and be with me in the hospital every day. And so I had incredible people. And I also... uh Another really amazing part of this story, uh, probably one of the biggest parts of this story, is that I, I had gone on a, a date like a month prior, a first date, and um, that guy, Vince, stuck with me through the whole, my whole illness. 
Mm. And so I had really good people in my wheelhouse to to keep my spirits high. I had I had excellent support and um just yeah, uh, everything all the work that I was doing beforehand that played into my recovery process. Yeah, I think um the the idea of having people around you to support you and and just be there, I think can't be understated in this situation. And not to mention just like the meditation side of things. It, it always brings me back to this quote from um it's often cited by Viktor Frankl, but I believe it's a Nietzsche quote. But it's the ability to have space between the stimulus and the response. And you can really, I think, in some sense, you're exemplifying that to <laughs> to a whole different level because when the reality is something so like drastic or bleak, it's easy to just be like, well, this is my life now. And you can just, you know, sink into whatever that means to you. And I mean, we're all human and it's easy for us to look at the, everything in the negative way or the, the worst possible way. Um, you know, and, and I remember even for me when I would see your updates either on Facebook or Instagram every so often of like just progress. And I would just like, this is crazy. Like it's because it, like, I think you were putting days at the time too of like how many days of recovery and stuff. And I was like, that is, it just seems so crazy. Like, I think maybe part of it too was, made it stood out was because of the fact it was the pandemic, right? So you really didn't have a lot of, um, like there wasn't a lot going on that like signified the passage of time. At least it's not for me because like every day you're, you're just working from home and you just, um, right. you know, you just kind of somehow go through it very groundhoggy after a while. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's true. And actually, uh, that's, I have, I have a, a mentor that she went through Guillain-Barre syndrome in her fifties. And oh, wow. I also had, uh, I had a, a strong therapy group that was composed of a lot of young, young people that were going through, uh, gunshot wounds that caused them to not walk again. They had, they had gone through one gal, you know, she had gotten in a car accident. And she also had a brain tumor. So she had to relearn how to walk again twice. And wow. so I was in this therapy group for a few months. And I remember, uh, you know, saying, how am I going to relate to these people? Mm -hmm. These, these, I, I'm not, you know, these people are potentially never going to walk again. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. You know, I don't, we're not the same. And it, it's, it's interesting to see how much people can connect on trauma, just mm -hmm. a trauma alone, not just, the type of trauma or illness, but what kind of bonding things that we have in, in a shared common interest. Uh, so for, you know, for instance, the day counting, like you suggested, that was something we all did. We, we took it one day at a time. So everybody was calculating the days like, okay, it's day 15, it's day 20, it's day 40. I remember, I, I mean, I, I stood for the first time on day 40 mm -hmm. and I, I called it the miracle week because I, usually it takes people from like the moment they stand up months to take the first step or weeks, depending. And I stood up on a Monday and I took my first steps by Friday. Wow. And then it went, you know, it was, it was, that's why it was so important to count the days is to, to see what the work you were putting in, what it brought forth the next day. And you could see it on a micro granular level, like you never could in any other situation in life. And yeah. so my, my, actually, my biggest quote that I did was 
and I, I, I painted it on a tile for the, for the hospital was the work you put in today uh, brings a little gift tomorrow. Because every day I'd wake up and I'd, I'd tell the people around me, guess what little gift I received? And it would be like, oh, I could wiggle my finger or I could brush my teeth. <laughs> it was like the most granular level of success. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the, it turns these things that you take for granted, right? Like the idea of, you know, I remember this quote, actually, it's, it's one of the things we would talk about uh, for like tapping into the present for people who are busy all the time or trying to just, you know, relax or connect a little bit better. Um, and it's one of the things they always say was be where your feet are. And so it's like, if you want to like snap into the present right now, try to wiggle your toes like can, like how because how often once you put your shoes on do you even think about your feet outside of just you know getting from point a to point b um you know and and with just hearing that it kind of reminds me of that but it's like ramped up to 11 or really like a thousand but <laughs> yeah i can tell you the day i wiggled my feet i can absolutely tell you the way because I, I, I took a video of it I that's mean, awesome it was like oh my gosh there's a two. <laughs> Actually, what what day was that? Does that be interesting to say? Because you know, if you stood on day forty, that must have been. I, I think that okay. So I wiggled my hand on day twenty. It must have been day twenty because I got plasmapheresis on April seventeenth, and that no, it was April seventeenth because, um. I got the plasmapheresis and the one thing I could, I could determine that it was working was that I could wiggle my fingers just, just mm. this tad bit. And oh my gosh, that was like, it felt like the happiest day of my life. <laughs> it, it felt like that. I was like, oh my God, there is a tunnel and there is light. <laughs> and I, you- yeah. So it must have been day 20 that I wiggled my, my hands, my feet probably in the 30 range okay so are you kind of 20 30 range. yeah you're just kind of slowly but surely regaining certain a little bit of sensation here and there um yeah. and it is a lot of this just like exposure just like check challenging you to to try and move just i'm just asking as someone who has no idea what it's like for this recovery process yeah uh so do you mean like what what sort of things they got me doing to be able to to move yeah like effectively like what are the exercises to help someone retrain their nervous system a lot of it was just sort of your everyday like i i was eating oh god it was was pretty bad i was eating pureed food for so long like the very grueling part is that I didn't, yeah, there was no food that I could eat because I couldn't mm-hmm. use my, I couldn't use, I couldn't talk at all. My lips were frozen and or not frozen, paralyzed. And so I had people feeding me and I just, I wanted to feed myself so bad. And so me regaining like the, the feeling in my hands was really important to me. And so I would start by just really visualizing sending movement to my hands like it's weird to say and you don't think about oh i'm gonna i'm gonna get up and go walk your brain just does it but when Mm -hmm. your brain is sending signals to walk and it's not working it really throws you for a loop so i still had to do that keep telling 
sending signals to my body parts to move, even though they weren't working. And I, I had the first PT appointment was getting me, getting me to stand up in bed, which was the most pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Wow. They said, they had said that I think Guillain-Barre pain, like nerve damage or nerve pain like that is like 10 times that of pregnancy or, um, childbirth. And so, um, when they stood me up, it was, it was just, my whole body was on fire and all I wanted was to not move. Even though I wanted to move, all I wanted to do in that moment was to not move. And so they, they stood me up in bed and it was to see how long I could stand up straight. Okay. And just endure the pain. And then from there, it was, you know, me putting my hands on a table and trying to push something forward. Mm-hmm. So like very granular movements. And then um, when I got into outpatient therapy, <clears throat> I had the best support staff there. <laughs> they had, I had the, the CNA Svetlana. She's very, very uh, stern, strong, and impactful woman. And she did not put up with any bullshit from me. So I'm laying in bed. I'm like, Svetlana, I have to, I have to get up. And she goes, okay, get up. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. I'm paralyzed. I can't. She's like, no, you can. No, I can't. I can't move. And she's like, yes, you can. And she like took my hand and she pushed it into this, into this button to get my, my bed up. And she's like, you can't think that you can, you try, you can try first and then ask me for help, but don't not try and and ask me for help kind of thing. And so that mentality of me doing the work and, and having, having the wanting to do it little by little, I started to pick up and have uh, some movement. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really telling when you have someone like that, who's around, um, you know, cause it's, I think it would be easy for someone who's, who gets into a job, who's a nurse, right? Clearly they care about taking care of people, right? Like that's the baseline. <laughs> if, you, if you don't want to do that, then you should not be a nurse. But I think there's a point too, where to some of these things, it's like, you have to light the fire for someone in some sense. It's like, you can't, you can't, um, you can't hope to just be there all the time to catch someone. Like you have to be there as, as like thinking from the nurse's perspective, like you're just there to catch someone when they, when they fall. Right. And I think the same is true for even like the family members who are around who are supporting that person. It's like the per- they, they just have to trust that like in your situation, you're doing everything you can to progress. And it's just like they're there to make sure that, okay, when you're when the fire inside of you starts going down a little bit, they throw a couple extra logs on there. Right. And I think it's one of those things that people don't talk about because it's it, it, maybe this is just some, some of the symptoms of our time where th- life is easy for a lot of people or or they make something bigger out of smaller things. Right. Yeah. And and actually. You know, it was, getting into, so when I left and got into to outpatient, they, 
they had this big board and they said, you know, what are your goals for, for leaving here? Outpatient, I think, is like between four and maybe eight weeks max. Uh, that's what insurance will allow for us. Like, okay. I went in there completely flat, not able to move. And I had this lady come in and say, all right, what, what do you want your goals to be? And I said, I want to, I want to walk out of here. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> what, you know, well, um, no, that's a great, that's, a, that's an ambitious goal. Uh, how about we start small just so we can, we can kind of gauge. I'm like, okay, I want to smile again. I want my smile. And she goes, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, like, I just want to walk and I want to smile. That's like, like, I'm not, like, these are not goals. big that's what I'm putting on there. That's what I'm, I'm this is what I'm going to do, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and fortunately enough, even though that I had come to that reaction in, in outpatient therapy, that's exactly what I did. I walked and I smiled out of there. <laughs> I mean, it, that's, this is a lot about the type of person you are. <laughs> when you when you walk into the room and the nurse who's like, "What are your goals?" and they're like, "Wait, hold on, let's roll this back a little bit." Yeah, yeah, she was she was doubtful. She was a doubtful nurse. <laughs> totally, totally different than Svetlana, unless that was the same person, which it would be hilarious. No, not the same person. There was lots of different personalities that were actually glorious and wonderful. <clears throat> Uh, lots of, lots of, oh, Svetlana has a lot of stories. I, I hope that she, she ends up listening to this because, uh, there are, are, you know, I like to say that I was, um, your, your whole perspective on life changes after a long hospital stay. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I remember after I got, after, before I got in the hospital, I would go into restaurant to change and I'd be very modest and I would I mean, now, if you were to ask me, like, going into a, a a gym or something to change, I could probably walk out of there naked. Like, there's you lose all sense of humility because of just, you're in a hospital, there's so much everything going on. Um, but <laughs> it was an interesting time. I can imagine. Um, just as you're, you know, like at the, toward the end of your stay, as you're, you know, regaining functionality, what kind of stuck with you, like, as you were kind of like, you, I mean, not to say that surviving is really the right word, but in some sense, that's the only word that seems right. But like, as you're like, re going to reenter, you know, whatever normal life was going to be like for you, like, what did you learn either about yourself or just, you know, the, the human condition? Yeah. Uh, whew. When you have the highest level of grat gratitude on a minuscule level where you're appreciating the most minute things, that gratitude doesn't go away and it carries with you. I mean, I may lose it sometimes in my day-to-day -day life now. I'm, I'm not the most positive all the time. And it's not to say I think everything shines in rainbows, but going through something like that, there's not much that could sway me anymore i'm not scared of much not you know not even death i'm not scared of death i'm not scared of failure i'm not scared of lo losing everything because i know that my willpower and what i what i built inside that hospital and even before it could carry me through anything and i 
I'd say I don't sweat the small stuff. You know, I, there's, mm-hmm. there's really not much that I, that I worry about that if it's, is it, it's just going through a very life altering illness will, will change your mindset into that's not a big deal. Yeah. Do you think it's in some sense like a gift to go through it so young? Like it, cause you have that like thing you don't think about, like, or not, not that you have to don't think about, but it's like to some, I hear this all the time with people who are like, you know, when you're in your twenties or in your early thirties, you think you're bulletproof. Right. And then something happens where you, you know, you try to lift a weight, you throw out your back and you're fucked up for, you know, maybe not, not something like yours where you can't walk, but you know, uh-huh. you, you, you know, you realize like, Oh my God, time's passing. And this, thing we call life is not something that's always going to remain easy to do right (laughs) um um i think uh, so well i'll start by saying my, my mentor and i used to say we wish we don't wish this on everybody because it's very it's incredibly challenging and I don't, it's hard to say that people can come through um, either alive or not, not damaged. Uh, but we also wish it on everybody because of the things that come from it. The, you know, where, where the amount of things that I learned in that experience, the amount of wisdom that I, that I was able to gain and the perspective and the people that I've now started to cultivate in my life. The, the meaningfulness, the joy that has stuck with me, the gratitude, the love that I've, that I've created based on a, an incredible foundation. Those are all the things that if I were to have a kid one day, I would want to box up and give to them. Mm-hmm. And I got it in one fall swoop challenge. And you said it was like a, just over 100 days of being in the hospital, like the supercharged. Yeah. It really like chapter yeah. of your life like you know mm-hmm. this is something you know most people aren't you know it takes a lot of effort and i mean a lot of people don't even find you know this this f- sort of meaning from the difficult things right like i always think about this is is that life is going to throw you either speed bumps or curveballs or whatever you know euphemism you want to use but it's your job to be prepared however prepared looks like to you to weather those storms and it, and unfortunately a lot of people don't ha- either have the time or the the ability to learn how to weather those storms um you know and it, just hearing from like what you, like how you're talking and your voice changing it, it it's very clear how much this impacted you regardless of whether or not it was good bad or otherwise um you know and i think part of that is just the outpouring of support you got not not only from family and friends but also from the nursing staff that you had and i think that can't go unstated especially considering the times we've gone through where it feels like we're so divisive and so you know at odds with each other for whatever reason and it's like nope you throw one common cause together and look what happened like just that your small microcosm <laughs> yes and and that's another thing was being i i i've always been in the legal industry um, and I never really knew much about the health field. Mm-hmm. And so coming in, not knowing, ha- not having that information on what somebody in that field goes through every day and what their day-to-day looks like, 
I realized it, it, it really gave me a profound sense of hope. Mm-hmm. And because I saw the camaraderie, I saw the compassion. I mean, I, I don't know in my every single day if I treat people with that level of compassion every day. There's no, there's no way. And so to be that person, to be the person who needed that and to be given it from somebody I didn't know, I never had a conversation with. I've never done. They can't gain anything from me. I mean, yeah, they get their paycheck, but no, they they put <laughs> this. This their, is a different level of effort, right? <laughs> a different level of dedication and love. A different, really, it was. It's it's a sharing of. It's a human experience, right? It's a sharing of love, and yeah, I'm like I said before, I'm indebted to those people. Everybody, I can confidently say that my team there. They went home and they would come and say, I, I went to bed and I, I came up with a new idea and this is what we're going to do today. And I was like, you stayed up thinking about me? And what? <laughs> like, right. and, and you know, what was also really uh, serendipitous was the fact that, so I had a, a, a support staff of, of a lot, but my main support staff, which is my occupational therapist, my physical therapist, and my speech path. I also had a site, um, a psych therapist because I, I was going through some stuff, but uh, she, my support staff, minus the therapist, was all twenty seven years old. We were all like twenty seven. Wow! And so I think part of a part of what they do on their day to day is already so influential. But I think maybe they saw a little bit of themselves in me because they were like, "Hey, this could happen to anyone. This could happen to anybody at any moment." And there's mm-hmm. not much they can do to prevent it. And, and so they were extremely dedicated to seeing me walk out of there, seeing me smile again and figuring out alternative ways to make, to get that done. I mean, the, so the, actually, even so my face, the, the speech pathologist, Jack, he's awesome. He did these electrodes that he put on my face that would measure my output. And so we would work every day doing like different movements and mm-hmm. seeing what would work and measuring the the progress. And so and not, I mean, a lot of people that have Guillain-Barre hit their face do not get any, any, if, and if they do get some back, it's very little. So yeah, I got, I had a really great support staff that was dedicated to my progress. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very clear just, hearing all the even these small stories about the different people that you remember even just the smallest thing and you know i think it's i think it can't be understated just at least for me it's like when i think about it it's like if i was 27 and that was like you know going through something like like seeing it and then being in some sense responsible for the outcome i don't think i could just you know turn off my brain and be like well that's just you know my day job see you later bye like totally different context in, in, to like to to put in perspective um and then just for you it, like you said you don't sweat the small stuff but like has this shifted like what you like expect out of life right like the happiness fulfillment or um success like how you define those things or what that looks like because i'm sure you i can only imagine what the shift like that is led to it's an incredibly loaded question that i think could spun a lot of podcasts but yes <laughs> the answer is yes it, 
so I've always been a relatively philosophical person. And so what I've wanted out of life, even from a little girl, was always to have to have a meaningful life filled with joy, filled with fulfillment, filled with accomplishment, me making a difference in the lives of others, that sort of thing. But, you know, at the time, there was nothing big enough to make a pivotal moment of why that it was important, right? What, 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 what my legacy was going to be. Because when you're faced with, you know, writing your will at 27, year old, 27 years old in the hospital bed, you start to think very quickly about, did I live my legacy? Did I leave something behind that I'd be proud of? Did I, did I push society forward? Did I change or influence people that I loved? Did I give enough love? Did I, did I do enough? You know? And so when you're faced with that kind of um, time in life, I think it just, it puts a lot in perspective. And, and so, yeah, it, it, it changed, it changed everything. It changed what my legacy and what my mission statement was. And I mean, you, you can't just leave it at what your mission statement was. Do, do yeah, you, oh, yeah, do you no, remember? sorry, yeah. And it's okay. It's, did you remember what it was before and then how you kind of revised it or updated that? So before, yeah, I have to really sit on this one about what my mission statement sort of was before because I guess I didn't think about it as much as I did in that moment. Mm-hmm. And all I really was trying to do was to become, quote unquote, as successful as I could have been, you know, to obtain all the knowledge and to, to do things that were that were fun and meaningful. But I didn't really sit down and go, OK, how do I how do I make what I want out of life happen until then? And so really, I just I think I after that, I wanted to become a pillar for people mm-hmm. that no matter your upbringing, no matter what circumstances you come across or, or downfalls you have, you could defy the odds and you could become resilient enough to overcome any adversity if you do the work and if you, you train your mindset to be in a good place. And so really, I, I, I want to be a pillar for people, but I also want to help people cultivate a meaningful life and what that means and what what it means to bring inherent value in your life because in that hospital bed i recognize that it is just the small stuff it is just being grateful it is shifting your mindset and having good people around you being in an environment that grows you and so i think that's you know really just taking my experience and using it as a tool for other people to to be able to achieve whatever they want to achieve yeah, I think I mean I it definitely sounds like you're on the right track and it's it's really cool to to see. I mean, I think the fact that you couldn't really state exactly what your mission statement would have been is really telling to to most people. I mean, it's not to point fingers and say you didn't think about it enough. It's just that let's be honest. Like when you're in your 20s or even younger or even a little bit older than that, like you just don't really it's it's kind of back of your mind you're like oh well i'll get to it eventually right like you just every day and you're just you're like i'm working toward 
whatever that thing is. Um, and and yeah. it's like you just don't really have a reason to get super specific about it because why? Like you don't have a why because there isn't like that end of the road feels so far away that it doesn't feel like it is necessarily needed to be specific because there's a good chance you'll go to sleep today and you'll wake up tomorrow until you realize that that is truly not the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It puts a lot in perspective very quickly. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think we, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about as a culture. Um, and I'm sure you could elaborate on this, but you know, what do you, what do you think about for either, you know, I, I would say people think saying just death is weird, but I'll word it in a different way, but like the shortness of life, because it's like every day is a chance for you to, to change or grow or align yourself, whatever you find meaningful. But I think we contort ourselves either thinking that death is something that's far off or we confuse the things that we find meaningful saying that it's not something valuable. So are you asking what my like opinion is on, on death? Yeah, or, either, one, uh, either one of those. It doesn't um, matter which one, whichever one you want to take. Like, and I hope I answer this uh, the, the way you're asking it, but I think oftentimes we, as humans, view ourselves as indestructible that we're not just part of nature. And so we plan the next day, we plan the next month um, until we're faced with something where you can't plan the next day and you can't plan the next month because it, it's in question and or you can't plan every single thing. And so um, I, I actually had a hard time with like a timeline hmm. in the hospital and after because I got so used to planning by the day and when I got out, it became extremely overwhelming to me that people were planning by the month. Yeah. And and so, like, it would overwhelm me when somebody would go, hey, do you want to go on a trip in June? Do you want to go on a trip in, you know, and I was like, whoa, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I might die tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. But, but seriously, so. No, yeah. Time is a warp for people. And with that being said, I think. I don't think it's natural for people to live like they're dying tomorrow. It's not realistic. We that's just not how society is created. And ne inevitably, we're going to go back to planning by the month, just like I mm -hmm. did. I think that we should take a little bit, though. And if you read all of the the nonfiction self help books, it's it's to embrace gratitude and to to live in the moment and do these certain things, but they're important, right? Because mm -hmm. That's what helps create that we we're living a life of meaning and that when that when we're faced with something where death is in question, you have the reaction like I did in the hospital bed when I had, you know, blood coming out of my neck from this surgery. I went, well, I had a lot of really great experiences and I think I showed people that I love them and I'd really like to hug my dog one more time. <laughs> and you know, that that's it. It, it and 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 that I'm that I'd be I was okay with it. I was totally okay with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, the goal of anyone, right? 
is to get to something like that moment and go, I lived a good life. Yeah, I, I wasn't satisfied. There was obviously there's a lot of things that I want to do. I want to, you know, I want to see more. <laughs> I want to do more. I wanted to accomplish more. But mm -hmm. still getting to a moment like that and going, it's okay. And so, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I, death is a very taboo topic. I think there's a lot of fear circulated around it. But if you're living in such a way where it's not cultivating that fear and giving, giving more into that fear, I think we just, we end up living as better people mm -hmm. by living with that in mind. Yeah. The, the reason I bring that up is, is that there's like a, Sam Harris did this talk about it, it's something around the present and it's, I'm going to paraphrase this badly, but he basically says that we sacrifice our lives either planning for tomorrow or whatever the next thing you have to accomplish is, right? Like most of us live by our to-do list. Or if you're not living by your to-do list, you're thinking about the thing that you may have made a mistake on, you know, prior to that. So you're living in your past. And so we sacrifice our present for things that either already happen you can't change or things that will happen that you can't change. And and I think that's really why I bring that up because I think we need to do better at kind of stepping out of the to-do list because like you said, there's always going to be things you want to do or things you could do, right? And yeah. no matter how, like, you, you know, you could live to 200 or whatever with modern, <laughs> modern science allows for. But even if we increase the runway, there's going to be a point where you're just not going to be able to accomplish all the things you hoped to accomplish. Because that's just, I mean, I think it's human nature, right? Like there's, there's always going to be a way to, to want to do more if, you, if your body or mind allows for it. Um, and I think realizing that, saying that there is going to be a point where you're like, yeah, I think I've done it. And maybe there will be for some people, like if we live long enough, you know, this is totally sci-fi, but you know, if you ever live long enough, there's probably going to be a point where some people are just like, yeah, I think I've been there, done that. I've done everything I wanted. Let me go. Yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll bow out and like let someone else <laughs> take it from here. But, you know, in, in the current reality, it's, yeah, of course we don't have enough time. But I think that's kind of the, the and I, maybe magic is the wrong word, but that's what I wanted to go with there. Yeah, like, no, I, I actually, and it, along with Sam Harris's sentiments, right? I had this mentor and he, he we were um, a while back. This is actually when I was going through my yoga certification. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, can you, each of you, think of the best time of your life? I'll give you a few moments, but think of the best time of your life. And I was like, okay. I don't know if I had it yet. I'm going, <laughs> you know, just going through all these things. Yeah. And he goes, okay, do you have it? And we're like, yeah. And he said, okay, do you know why it was the best time of your life? And I'm like, well, I was, I was traveling. I was, yeah, I was like active and cool. I don't know. I think all these things. And he yeah. goes, none of those reasons. It's because you were the most present. Mm. in those moments you there was nothing else you weren't in the future you weren't in the past you were in that moment savoring it and that that's why it was the best time of your life and so and and it's interesting because that was right before my illness and now i identify with gbs as one of the best times in my life and ironically enough i had to be extremely present every single mm. So 
I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be on boats in Italy, right? It's just that you have to have this appreciation for what's going on around you. And you have to be savoring this moment for everything that it is. So, I mean, it, I, that, that one really stuck with me, especially because of the time frame that it was. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, if you think about it, like, you could even say, like, just kind of playing devil advocate, though. Like, you could go to do the boats in Italy or some other, you know, mystical, magical place. But you could not remember a second of it because there's nothing that punctuates that period of time where you're, you know, locked into the moment. Like, you could not to say alcohol is horrible, but like you could just be, you know, a drunken binge for the time you're in a place like that and you wouldn't remember anything. Again, that's not to say that's the wrong way to do it, but or attach a value sentiment to it, but it's just given the context of what you did there because you're just not going to remember just out of the chemical response alcohol does to the brain and memory. Like you're just not, you're just not priming yourself for being able to create those lasting memories for things. You know, and I think that's why I, I really harp on these kinds of things a lot because it's the, I mean, really it's the, there's a Soren Kierkegaard quote is life, life must be lived forward, but remembered in reverse, or I'm paraphrasing that horribly, but basically, you know, we have to, we live life and then we have to th- reflect on our, the course of our life after the fact, you know, and that is part of the reason why I really wanted to have this conversation because I, I think experiences like yours are important and even though someone doesn't go hasn't gone through that or a very small minority of people goes through what you experience at least specifically with gbs there's still wisdom in the way you talk about it and it's because you can talk about it that's not you know in these fluffy terms like you said where it's like not everything is sunshine and robot rainbows all the time right like it's still clearly a like horrible time but it's still created a a fertile ground from which you can pull lessons from right and i'm sure you're still learning like i'm sure you wake up every so often or like have a thought that just hits you and you're like whoa why did like <laughs> that yeah no and you know it's 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 it, it's good to talk about it especially like what you're saying like living life in reverse right because I forget a lot. Of, I mean, it was only two years ago. This is going to be the two-year anniversary. I think you're going to post it today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I remember I actually just recently was in the was in the gym and I was training, and there was this uh, bodybuilder. She was so impressive and physically, and I, I I can't remember how we began conversation. We were both lifting, doing shoulders, and <clears throat> said, "Oh yeah, you know, recovering from an injury." I, it's, it's tough. I said, oh, yeah, I know. It's actually, I'm, you know, I myself am recovering. She go, oh, from what? And I was like, oh, GBS, what's that? I was paralyzed. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> but I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that it is a big deal that I'm doing what I'm doing. I mean, it just like, it, so a year after, uh, on my year GBS anniversary, we did a Spartan. Mm. And so I, I, I forget just how that like i said it's a time warp right i was going by the yeah. day but it just doesn't feel like there's oftentimes i forget right? i'm not talking in depth to people i forget it even happened some days because i'm just in the grind of, yeah. of the day-to-day and 
And like you said, you know, going back, just taking a couple of steps back about people getting, um, not being in the moment, I think even more prominently today, even something that's as simple as distraction on your phone, where is taking people from, from living a life being present. And mm-hmm. so even just going on a, on a trip and spending a majority of the time with your handheld device prevents you from actually living some of the best times of your life. But yeah, I just have no two comments on it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you're, you're right about saying, you know, just kind of being offhand about being paralyzed, talking to a bodybuilder like, oh, yeah, we're getting into injuries. And then it's like, wait, different, different scale to degree. <laughs> Like I pulled a muscle and you did what? Yeah. I mean, but to also comment on that, the fact that you did a Spartan just a year after is insane. Um, like that that is, you know, the the human body is a crazy thing, right? To to even think about that. I mean, you weren't in like the hospital for very long. So the muscle atrophy wasn't probably that horrible but oh, you probably it was 30 pounds of muscle atrophy oh my god that's way faster i would not have guessed that the 30 in only pounds 100 you days lose it so fast no I kidding had, that's yeah. wild <laughs> 30 pounds of muscle atrophy i i was like oh i'm losing weight wow <laughs> no that's muscle <laughs> you're like you're like yeah you're you're not walking around anymore so your body's like oh get rid of this metabolically expensive... been, no no it would have been 30 pounds combined yeah it might have been 30 pounds combined probably like but somewhere but it was it was a lot of muscle that I yeah lost. i mean it that makes sense though but yeah i, I was but so even it's still like that's even more incredible given that context because you're you effectively have to regain or retrain your level of endurance if your body's like oh wait we don't need to use this anymore um you know it it to me it's it's one of these things that i think we we don't think about um too often because we in modern times, especially like you're saying with phones and, and things like that, like the distraction is so prevalent and because it's, it's not even just distraction, but it's telling people like how to live or we do these because we had this com- side conversation about like self-help stuff. Um, and, and one of it was like, we, we do all of this stuff, especially because of how information presented on the internet, it's all like the hacky stuff, like do these five things and you'll, you know, whatever it is, pick a category. And those are fine and well and good, but what it doesn't do well, at least in my opinion, and I think you agree to some degree, and I'm curious where you want to take it, but it's, it's the, it doesn't give people like more depth, like, Hey, do these five things just says, okay, well, that's cool. But like how, or why, or where do I implement it in my day, right? Like if you're trying to like work out, like the easier one or or change your diet, like you can give people the top five things to change, but you don't give people the habit or the routine to be like, well, why am I changing that? Or how do I implement that into my life so that it fits instead of, you know, adds friction. Um, so I'm just curious where you want to wanna take that because I, I think you do have a lot of really good ways to re- rethink of like how to rebuild a habit to like live better. Yeah. So that's another thing that I took out of GBS obviously was it was just how focused I had to be to be able to get to a normal my my destination at the time was living a normal life that I enjoyed. And uh 
analyzing how to do that, what kind of environments I should be putting myself in, what kind of people should I be surrounding myself by, what kind of regimen should I do, what kind of practice should I continue daily, what kind of mindset should I have, all of those things that these, like what you said, these self-help books talk about, but they don't drive home. I mean, it's usually to achieve something, it's to, to gain monetary gain or physical mm-hmm. gain or become the best shape of their life. But really all those things don't matter until, you know, like I said, like we talked about before, when you're getting to that and, you know, at 27 year old, 27 years old saying, you know, where would you like your stuff to go if something bad happens in this surgery? I don't care about my, my little baby four pack or the money that I had, you know? <laughs> and so those yeah. self-help books, they don't hit the home, right? Because they're not talking about a legacy and um, they're not talking about a big why for yourself so that you could feel impactful at the end of your life or in just in general. And so um, I think I, I, I sort of lost my train here, but I think when it, when it comes to, to, expressing sort of ways in which you should live and another thing that that they kind of they, they miss in in, the, in those aspects is and you know somebody you had interviewed previously had mentioned maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. um maslow's hierarchy of needs is essentially for people that don't know it's a pyramid that talks about how to become you know you can't just talk about you being at the top of your best self right so it has a pyramid of it goes from red to orange or red to orange to yellow to green to blue and blue would be your best self and red is the very basic necessities so it's food shelter air water do you have those things great you're not in a red zone right because you're not looking for your next meal you're not at homeless you're not in survival mode yep. you're just survival mode is you you can't think about becoming your best self so you reading a health self-help book isn't going to do anything for you. They're, you're, you can't afford it. You can't, there's no, your mental state isn't where it should be. Then it goes to the yellow. You know, do you, do you have uh, security? Do you have uh, employment? Do you have uh, support? Okay, great. That's, you know, but let's say you are struggling with employment or where you're you know, going to get a continual paycheck. Then you're kind of floating in that yellow zone. Then it goes up to sense of belonging. Do you have uh, a great uh, people that you feel included in? Do you feel loved? Do you feel like you're engaging in hobbies that you are getting a continuous paycheck? You are, you know, so you're leveling up, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of self-help books, they start right there. Like as if everybody could do these four things and they're going to reach success. And so some people, some people can't start from there. Right. And so for me, it's really about shaping your mind frame and starting out there where you can look at all the things stacked against you and say, I'm not, I'm not going to be a victim to these things. I'm not going to carry that mindset. Yeah, sure. These are factors. These are, these are things that I have against me that are working in my favor. That does not mean that I can't do this thing. Mm-hmm. So how do I get there? How, even if I have to start small, where, how do I get there and, 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 and create for a meaningful life? Uh, create for, for cultivating relationships around me that 
are in alignment with my values and with what I want to accomplish, which is your legacy and thinking about it in that way. So I think I, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't matter. There is no right answer. <laughs> there will be no test. <laughs> um, you, you've mentioned legacy a couple times now throughout this entire conversation. And I think if, if there's any way to really wrap up this really round one of a conversation, because there's many, many, many more questions we could <laughs> tackle or stories we could talk about, but we're already well over an hour mark. And I want to be respectful of your time. But what is legacy to you? What does it mean? And why does that seem to be so important for like your frameworks that you want to you know, get across to people because I think it's something, to be honest, we don't really think about very often. Very simply put, how do you want to be remembered? And, 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 and what kind of um, things do you want to leave behind? And I think if, you know, just like any, any good story, right, you start writing from the conclusion. And so, you know, it, it, I think, if more people thought about what their conclusion is, then they would live very differently, uh, very, very meaningfully, very impactfully. And as, as cliche as it sounds, the world would become a better place because of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And normally I would end this conversation with, I like to ask, what is your advice to a smart driven person or someone who is looking to pivot in their life? But I think we might've just covered. <laughs> all of it. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we might've just covered that even just with that last question. So, <laughs> so I'll refrain from this one. Um, other than that, is there any other thoughts that come to mind? Maybe things that we haven't touched um, or messages to anyone who might be listening, who may have been part of your recovery you just want to say um as we wrap this one up yeah well yeah i mean it's, i i've said it a lot but i'm i'm great i'm very grateful for the people my, my people my circle of influence uh my mom for for taking a leave of absence and coming out to caretake for me my family for stepping up where others couldn't step in and the all of the staff that had a a very passionate sense of focus for me to be better. I'm so grateful for everybody. Um, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for the people around me. I, I couldn't have done this by myself. I couldn't have done this with just a mindset and, <laughs> and a willpower, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, messages, I just, I really think that, you know, not not to sweat the small stuff and to... Not think of your, um, of the odds stacked against you being completely dictating your, your future. Mm -hmm. That you, you can do whatever you put your mind to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so with that, where can people connect with you or follow along with your journey on the internet? If you have a website or Instagram, yeah. whatever the best place is. I actually got my Instagram deleted not long ago on accident. So, uh, but you can, I, I do have a, a writing account uh, called Corner of Comfort Co. And so you could follow me on there. And uh, yeah, that's probably the, the one place. I'll, I'll put the 
Instagram in the show notes for people who are interested um, to follow along or say, hey, or just reach out for whatever reason. Um, but that is, I think this is the best place to leave it for this yeah. round one. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. And as always, we covered like a tiny fraction of what. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I appreciate this conversation. Like I said, I haven't, I don't, I'm not able to talk about it in this depth filled way. So uh, this is a really cool podcast. You're doing some cool things yourself. And I'm grateful to be, I'm honored to be on it. Well, I appreciate that. And like I said, always room for round two or more down the road. I'm sure we'll have many more ideas that'll come up as we go on. And uh, we'll take it from there. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, great to have all of the wisdom that you've gained. Yeah, me too. Hello, everyone. And thank you all for getting to the end of the podcast. And I thank you all for not only making it through the episode, but to hearing me here again at the end. If you enjoyed the podcast that much, please consider liking, subscribing, or leaving a comment on what your favorite part was, or if there's anything else we should explore uh, related to what we covered here. Anything that sticks out, I really would like to know. And if there's feedback I can receive, I would also love to know. And as a final note, if you really enjoy what we do here, you can also subscribe to us. You can go to our Patreon, Feeding Curiosity um, patreon.com slash feeding curiosity or you can head over to our spotify podcasters or anchor.fn and support us there so anyways thank you all for watching and or listening once again and i will see you all in the next episode